Well, let's start with the scripture text. Um, the one that kept coming to my mind as I finished up um, The Magician's Nephew with chapters uh, 13, 14, and 15. That's our chapters for today. Uh, there were two passages out of the book of Proverbs. Let's turn there, if you will. There's two passages out of the book of Proverbs that kept coming to mind. And uh, as I was thinking about these passages out of the book of Proverbs, I, I was reminded that we probably need to teach the book of Proverbs more than we do. Uh, you know, Dr. Graham, Billy Graham, used to, because there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, he would read a chapter a day, saving chapter 31, which is mostly about a virtuous woman, saving that for when you had 31 days in the month. But he would read a chapter of Proverbs every morning uh, because Proverbs is part of that wisdom literature that we have in the Old Testament. We, we desperately need wisdom in this age. And when I'm thinking about one of the commentary from C.S. Lewis on Diggory in, in our reading for today, remember that spot where Diggory refuses to steal? And uh, the, the editorial remark is they, they, they taught students more about not stealing back in those days. Uh, again, he's writing this in the 50s. Is set in the early 1900s. He's writing this in the 1950s. But yeah, the, just some of those basic virtues, basic values that our culture seems to, to ignore now. Uh, the book of Proverbs would help to restore those. Anyway, a couple couple Proverbs. Look at chapter 14. And these are two very famous passages out of the book of Proverbs. So if you've been in the Christian faith for a while, you probably know these. Uh, look at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. And again, because it's a book of Proverbs, there's a lot of, t- lot of times each verse is one proverb. So chapter 14, verse 12, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people who do what they do because it just feels right to them. It feels right to them. They think it's right. Their cultures told them it's right. They had a dream one time that made them think it was right. Whatever. Uh, There's a way that seems right to a man, human being, but its way is the end of death. And then probably, probably the, the one of the most famous passages out of Proverbs, I'm sure many of you know, is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. And I think as we go through the final chapters of The Magician's Nephew, you'll see how this all comes to bear. I I was a proud father when my daughter um, was graduating from high school. And in that public school, they the, the, the one of her teachers asked for a lot of information, including her life verse. And this was the one my daughter included. It is a famous verse out of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. You know, one of the dumbest things I think I've ever heard, theologically and philosophically, is... Follow your heart. If I would have followed my heart throughout the course of my life, I, I shudder to think what my life would look like. 
I'm sure I'd have gotten in trouble with my wife multiple times. <laughs> but yeah, just, just evaluate what you hear culture say to you. Follow your heart. Oh, yeah, compare that to the, the wisdom of the ages. Compare that to biblical wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Um, make him the priority. Acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. I suspect for many in the room, you probably have that passage, those two verses underlined in your Bible. They, they are important verses. Because um, what you see here in this text you're going to see Diggory choose the right way. Uh, and what Mr. Lewis hopes you kind of do here is compare what you see Diggory do in this section to what you saw Diggory do with the bell and the hammer. He blew it there. He blew it there. You know, he hit the, hit the, hit the bell with the hammer and brought, brought Jadis back. Yeah, not one of his better moments. Did not make a good choice there. Uh, did not make a choice based on the wisdom of the ages in the Bible there. Uh, but you're going to see him make a, another choice here, a very hard choice here. Um, so compare the two. Anyway, chapter 13, you know, they're on their way, uh, Diggory and Polly, on fledges, the old strawberry, fledges back. They're on their way. They're on their way to um, get the apple to get the apple that Aslan has sent Diggory to go get. Get the apple, bring it back to me, Aslan said. Well, that's, that's the task. Uh, they're on their way. They, they're, they're en route. Uh, they, 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 they went to sleep. They planted some toffee. And sure enough, they wake up the next morning, and that toffee has turned into a toffee tree. So they wake up. They continue their journey. Uh, to um, where the where the tree is, you should be thinking Garden of Eden. By the way, they continue the journey to where the tree is. They get to where the journey where the tree is, and you notice on page 171, there's another poem. There's another poem. Uh, there's 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 wall. There's a wall around this garden, and um, this is the poem. That, that he finds on, 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 the, on the gate. Come in by the gold gates or not at all. Take of my fruit for others or forbear. For those who steal or those who climb my wall shall find their heart's desire and find despair. So uh, notice what the poem is saying that Diggory is reading. Come in by the gate or not at all. Well, at one point, Diggory's going to think, well, why wouldn't you go in by the gate? Why would you climb over the wall when you got a gate? Well, again, C.S. Lewis is assuming that you as the adult reader reading this to your grandchildren, you know John chapter 10. You know John chapter 10. You've heard Jesus say, I am the what? The gate. He who comes in by another way is a thief. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So Jesus is the gate. That's the way in. Now, we run across people probably every day of our life who prefer another gate. They want another way in. They want another path. They want another passage. They want another entrance to the garden, to the paradise. 
Um, you're provided a gate. Why not use the gate? But there's something about human nature that says, I'll show you. I'd rather climb over the wall myself. Because I don't like the gate. I choose a different path. Um, I'll make another path to the inside. Well, so again, back to the poem. Come in by the gold gates, or not at all. Take of my fruit for others or forbear. For those who steal or those who climb my wall shall find their heart's desire. Yeah, follow your heart. It's some of the dumbest stuff our culture says. You, you shall find their heart's desire and find what? Despair. Yeah, the Christian faith. Again, I baptize your babies because we need redemption. Yeah, don't follow your heart. Unless it is a sanctified heart that's in tune with Jesus Christ, a heart where you have enthroned Jesus Christ, then maybe you can follow your heart if you hear the voice of Christ through your heart. But yeah, follow your heart is an amazingly dumb modern saying for some reasons. Socrates would have passed out. Plato would have passed out. And that was hundreds of years before Jesus to, to, to try to do life that way. Um, you know, follow your heart, follow your gut. Make your important decisions in life on your gut feeling. Yeah, that's, I apologize, but I just can't come up with any word but dumb for that. You got the wisdom of the ages, not to mention our faith in Christ and the revelation of God provided for us, and we say, no thank you, God. I'd rather follow my heart, my gut. Well, yeah, C.S. Lewis being... Uh, particularly being a Renaissance um, medieval scholar and a Christian, realizes how stupid that worldview is. Um, yeah, if I follow my heart, I won't even eat what I won't even eat what I should eat for supper tonight. If I follow my heart, uh, I'll eat half of a chocolate cake. To the, that's, that's my heart telling me to do: eat half of a chocolate cake. But yeah, there's just something about human nature we, we've known for centuries. That's not the way we do life. Anyway, so uh, he, 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 of course, goes in by the gate because that's the smart thing to do. He goes in by the gate. They get inside this amazing garden. You should be thinking Garden of Eden. And who do they find there? Jadis. They find the witch there. Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden, serpent. You figured it out, hadn't you? So, yeah, they get in this paradise, and there's the witch. There's Jadis in the paradise. So um, um, she tries really, really, really hard to try to get him to steal an apple for himself. Because that's what the witch is there doing. This is like the tree of youth. Now, tree of youth, good thing. But again, what was the command? What did Aslan say do? Go bring, get one apple, bring the apple back to me. Well, you know, Jadis evidently figured out this is a tree of youth. So what is she doing? She is gorging herself on the apples. What does she tempt, what does she tempt um, Diggory with? She tempts Diggory by saying, you know, Steal one. Take one for yourself. Uh, do the wrong thing. Steal the apple. But here's the, here's the trick. I think C.S. Lewis and the Christian faith and the Garden of Eden, Genesis, uh, early chapters of Genesis, we want you to see. The temptation here is, Diggory, steal the apple for a good reason. 
to take it back to your mother to heal her. You know, again, our ancestors taught us the end does not justify the means. I'm sure you've heard that somewhere in your memory. The end does not justify your means. So the temptations that we're faced with, you know, are not usually temptations to overt evil. Most of us can kind of get out of those temptations sometimes. But usually the temptations are to do the wrong thing for what we think is the right reason. That's why I love to quote to churches a a quotation from Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary to China of the 19th century. Hudson Taylor Taylor said, and, and catch this, organize your life around this. God's work, well, let me, let me tell you what he didn't say. He didn't say God's work never lacks God's provision. What he did say, though, is God's work done God's way never lacks God's provision. Yeah, you can't do God's work in the way of the devil. You can't do God's work in the way of the world. You can't do God's work in the way you want to do it. Uh, you got to do God's work God's way. Again, the end doesn't justify the means. You can't say, well, you know, I, I'll never forget in one of my early churches. I was, a, I was a college student doing youth ministry, and it was a declining congregation. There are a lot of those in the world. It was a declining congregation. You know, they hired me as a really, really green college student to come do youth ministry. The problem was I had no youth. Um, they hired me to come do youth ministry, and I was to create a youth program and save the church. Church is not there now, by the way. But anyway, I was in a session meeting. I was in a session meeting. If you know Presbyterians, that's their um, kind of church council. I was in a session meeting, and, you know, we were all waxing eloquent about ways to grow the church. And and I don't even remember what all was being said, but evidently some some things were being said that were not God's way of growing the church. And I'll never forget Roscoe Quinn. And it's amazing that I remember his name from 1979. But I remember Roscoe Quinn's name because he was an elderly member of the session there in the Presbyterian Church. And we're, you know, he's he doesn't didn't say much, but when he spoke, people listened. So we're waxing eloquent about how we can track people and grow the church and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Finally, Roscoe spoke up and said, um, <clears throat> if we gave out free Budweiser on Sunday, we'd get a crowd too. <laughs> we all got his point. God's work done God's way never lacks God's provision. The temptation here was to do a good thing, heal his mother. But he was being told to steal and disobey Aslan. To do that good thing. Well, again, compare this to the hammer and the bell. Um, Diggory passed this test. He passed this test. When, when, the, when the witch said something mean about Polly... That sort of shook him to his senses, and he he chose the right thing here. He didn't choose to steal an apple for himself. He didn't choose to steal an apple and slip back to his mother and heal his sick mother. So um, at the end of at the end of chapter 13, you just see him returning to Aslan, and he says, "I've brought you the apple you wanted, sir." He did what Aslan asked. Look at the first words in chapter 14. And Christian, this should sound familiar to you. Well done. You know, well done, good and faithful servant. 
You've been faithful in little, so I'll put you over much. Enter now into the joy of the Father's kingdom. Well done, said Adam in a voice. Well done, son of Adam, he says. So um, he passed this test. He passed this temptation. He took the, he took the apple back um, to um, Aslan, because that was the task. They, he, he, he asked Aslan, Aslan asked Diggory to, to plant the apple, throw the apple. He threw the apple, and it, it kind of landed in the soft ground, and it, 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 it becomes more, more of these trees. Then you go through the chapter. You see the coronation of Frank and Helen as the first king queen of Narnia. You notice that their faces, their expressions have changed. They have continued to be transformed in the presence of Aslan. Uh, then you have this almost uh, um, tangent aside. You, you go back to Andrew. You go back to Andrew, and it, it's just amazing. You know, they remember they planted Andrew? <laughs> they watered Andrew? They thought they didn't know what Andrew was because he wasn't connecting with that world. He wasn't connecting with those animals. So they planted them. He's just terrified of the animals. He doesn't like the animals. They're not connecting. Um, one of my, one of, I think a beautiful passage is on page 183 where these animals are trying to love on Andrew. They're trying to feed Andrew. The donkey collected great piles of thistles and threw them in. But Uncle Andrew didn't seem to care about them. The squirrels bombarded him with, volley, with volleys of nuts. But he only covered his head with his hands and tried to keep out of the way. Several birds flew to and fro, diligently dropping worms on him. The bear was especially kind. During the afternoon, he found a wild bee's nest, and instead of eating it himself, which he would have very much liked to have done, this worthy creature brought it back to Uncle Andrew. But this was, in fact, the worst failure of all. The, the bear lobbed the whole sticky mass over the top of the enclosure, and unfortunately it hit Uncle Andrew's slap in the face, and not all the bees were dead. The bear, who would not at all minded being hit, by, hit in the face by Honeycomb himself, could not understand why Uncle Andrew staggered back, slipped, and sat down. And it was sheer bad luck that he sat down on the pile of thistles. <laughs> and anyway, said the warthog, quite a lot of honey has got into the creature's mouth, and that's bound to have done some good. They were really getting quite fond of their strange pet and hoped that Aslan would allow them to keep it. The clever ones were quite sure by now that at least some of the noises which came out of his mouth had a meaning. Notice what kept coming out of his mouth. They christened him Brandy because he made that noise so often. Yeah, he's just probably saying Brandy, Brandy. You know, he likes his alcohol a whole lot. Yeah, again, if you read his two grandkids, I, they will probably pick up, be like Diggory, don't be like Andrew. Don't be like Andrew. And then um, one of the, and anytime Aslan speaks, you should pay close attention to that and notice at the bottom well you know he's he's talking brandy bring look at the bottom of page 184 um bring out that creature he is you know the further we get away from christ the la the le the less human we are if you define human as that which god created us to be 
The, the way we become what God created us to be is find life in Christ. The further we get away from Christ, the less human we be. Yeah, become. That's why poor Andrew's a creature at this point. That's why they, they can't even under the animals can't understand him. He's he's in his own little world right here. Bring out that creature, said Aslan. One of the elephants lifted Uncle Andrew in its trunk and laid him at the lion's feet. He was too frightened to move. Please, Aslan, said Polly, could you say something? To, to, to unfrighten him. Yeah, you want to be like Polly and Diggory. I, I don't know if I'd have been this kind to Andrew at this point. And remember, Andrew's, Andrew sent Polly out of the world to a strange place by making her touch the ring. But here Polly is being kind to Andrew. Aslan, can you say something to unfrighten him? And then could you say something to prevent him from ever coming back here again? <laughs> Do you think he wants to? Said Aslan. Um, well, Aslan said Polly, he might he might send someone else. He's so excited about the bar off the lamppost growing into a lamppost tree, and he thinks he thinks great folly. Child says Aslan. This world is bursting with life for these few days because the song which I called with which I called it into life, still hangs in the air and rumbles in the ground. It will not be so for long. But I cannot tell that to this old sinner, and I cannot comfort him either. Hear this. I cannot comfort him either. He has made himself unable to hear my voice. If I spoke to him, he would hear only growlings and roarings. Oh, Adam's sons, how cleverly you defend yourselves against all that might do you good. But I will give him the only gift he is still able to receive. He lets him have some sleep. A basic conviction of C.S. Lewis, and I think is a basic conviction of the Christian faith, is beware, you get what you want. You get what you want. You get what you strive for in life. That's why um, one of my favorite quotations I use frequently from The Great Divorce is where George MacDonald says, in the end, there are only two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God will eventually say, thy will be done. If you don't want to have anything to do with God, if you want to strive against God, if you want to enjoy your sin and your ignorance more than you want to come to God, because of the majesty of the human being, you, you, you might eventually get what you want for eternity. If you want to be separated from God, you may eventually get what you want for all eternity. If you want to live outside the presence and the promises of Christ, yeah, you might get what you want for all eternity. Um, coming to Christ, C.S. Lewis and multitudes of others have always said that coming to Christ is what, what we need to do as human beings is we, because Christ is pulling us to God. Christ is pulling us to God. It creates some inner turmoil, hopefully, hopefully in our lives. We get conflicted. Coming to Christ is simply surrendering, laying down your arms of rebellion, and say, Aslan, you'll be my king. But if you choose to not do that, yeah, you may get what you want. You may get 
what you want. But anyway, Aslan, Aslan still does some good things for all. Jesus said the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Even those who strive against God still get a lot of God's blessings. Here Andrew gets to have a good night's sleep. He's because he's been tormented by because of who he was, he's been tormented. So anyway, they, they, they plant that tree. You see on page 188 the coronation of Frank and, and Helen. They guard that tree. Um, go to page 190. Some more words from, from Aslan. Uh, when he's kind of interviewing Diggory. Diggory talks about the witch. The witch was there in the garden. Evil, again, the book of the magician's nephew is about the book of Genesis. Creation and the entrance of evil into creation. Um, so Diggory does say that the witch ate one of the apples. Look what Aslan says um, about a fourth of the way down page 190. Child, he replied, that is why all the rest are now a horror to her. We've got to use God's good gifts the way God wants us to use them. If we misuse God's good gifts, like eating too much um, Turkish delight, if we misuse God's good gifts, it becomes a horror to us. And that's what the queen did. She found the tree and she gorged herself on the tree of youth, didn't end well for her. If you misuse God's good gift, it doesn't end well for you. So that is why all the rest of the apples are now horror to her. That is what happens, Aslan says, to those who pluck and eat fruits at the wrong time and in the wrong way. The fruit is good, but they loathe it ever after. I think the first thing that pops in my mind is our our culture's obsession with sexual activity. Sex is the good gift of God. Sexual relationships, a good gift of God. But, you know, shocker, God has the final say as to how that gift should be used, where that gift should be used, the boundaries of that gift. You know, all of whether it's whether it's sinful, whether it's sexual immorality, whether it's gluttony, whether it's greed, you can go down the list. Money's good, but the love of money is the root of all evil, the misuse of money. Food is good, but you can misuse that. Golf is good. You may misuse that. You know, the list goes on. Sin arrives when we misuse God's good gifts. Because human nature, another thing about human nature, by our nature, is we are naturally, we we naturally have addictive personalities. We take everything to the other side of moderation. And we can't use hardly anything within the boundaries that God has set for. We don't like boundaries, by the way. We are human beings are boundary-hating people, unless we set the boundaries. And they, and usually we don't end up liking those. We change them. Anyway, here as on here, the fruit is good, but they loathe it ever after. Oh, I see," said Polly. And I suppose because she took it in the wrong way, it won't work for her. I, wa- I mean, it won't make her always young and all that. Well, that's true. Alas, said Aslan, shaking his head, it will. Things always work according to their nature. She has won her heart's desire. She has unwearying strength and endless days. And you're going to learn the problem with that in a minute. And endless days like a goddess. I'm glad we haven't found the fountain of youth. Diggory's going to learn. 
Yeah, you don't want to live in this world forever. That's not the plan. That's not God's purpose. That's not creation. Anyway, so yeah, she's going to get unwearying strength. But isn't a good rest a nice thing? She's going to get unwearying strength in endless days like a goddess. But length of days with an evil heart is only length of misery. And already she begins to know it. All get what they want. That's what I was saying a few moments ago. All get what they want. They do not always like it. I, I near, here's where, again, Diggory's getting better and better. I, I, I nearly ate one myself, Aslan, said Diggory. Would I? You would, child, said Aslan. For the fruit always works. It must work, but it does not work happily for any who pluck it at their own will, for any who use it outside the way God says use it. If any Narnian, unbidden, had stolen an apple and planted it here to protect Narnia, it would have protected Narnia, but would have done so by making Narnia into another strong and cruel empire like Charn, not the kindly land I mean it to be. And the witch tempted you to do another thing, my son, did she not? Aslan knows all, by the way, if you haven't figured that one out. Yes, Aslan, she wanted me to take an apple home to mother. Again, a good thing. He wants his mother healed. And I told you about C.S. Lewis's death of his mother when he was nine years old. Digger wants his mother healed. Yes, said Aslan. She wanted me to take, she wanted, yes, Aslan, she wanted me to take an apple home to mother. Understand, Aslan speaking, understand then that it would have healed her, because it's the nature of the apple, but not to your joy or hers. The day would have come when both you and she would have looked back and said it would have been better to have died, to, to die in that illness. You know, one of the most basic things I learned as a young man working as a very young man in seminary doing hospital chaplaincy, back when we had kind of cancer wards, it was before hospice, Back when I was doing hospital chaplaincy training at the Old Wesley Long Hospital, and I was on the cancer ward, and I was very, very young, I learned there are there are things worse than death. You know, some people act as if there's the the absolute greatest good is to be here forever. That's not even wise. That's not even wise. Uh, you know, it's 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 not wise. Um, the portrait of Dorian Gray. Remember that piece of that, here, Go read that one. It's not good to kind of have everlasting life here. We weren't created for that. That's not God's plan. So yes, she would have been healed. She would have lived forever, but it would it would not have been her joy. Um, it would not have you know it would have been better if she had died in her illness. And Diggory could say nothing, for tears choked him, and he gave up all hopes of saving his mother's life. But at the same time, he knew that the lion knew what would have happened, and that, that there might be things more, more terrible either than losing someone you love by death. This is C.S. Lewis coming to terms 60 years later almost with the death of his mother. When, when, when he was nine years old. There, there are things more terrible even than losing someone you love by death. But, but now Aslan was speaking again, almost in a whisper. That is what would have happened, child, with a stolen apple. 
the misuse of God's gift. It is not what will happen now. What, notice what Aslan does. What I give you will bring joy. It will not in your world give endless life, but it would heal. Go pluck her an apple from the tree. So Aslan, so Diggory doing what Aslan says, following Aslan's will, does get an apple, does take it back to his mother, right? And she is miraculously healed, um, only to go into remission. The other thing they taught us when I was doing chaplaincy work, you may not know this, you are terminal. They, they told us never use that word. We never use that word with patients. You know, they learned they were terminal. What do you think you are? We're all terminal. Um, we, we, were, we were created to die to this world. We were created to die to this world. But anyway, so even if you have a miraculous healing, it really is just remission. Because you're still terminal. Well, so he takes the apple back, of course, and he gives it to his mother. And... Um, and his mother uh, is miraculously healed. Look uh, in the next chapter. Let's start wrapping it up. Look in the next chapter. Go to verse 196. This is after he's home. He goes in to see his very, very sick mother. And I think this is a beautiful part of the text. Page 196. Then Diggory took a minute to get his breath. And by the way, you notice when, he, when they miraculously go back home, not using the rings, but just using Aslan's power, when they miraculously go back home, it's as if the wreck just happened. Remember the wreck? You know, as, again, you go away and you spend a long time in Narnia, and you come back to this world, and you, only five minutes have passed. So you notice that when they ended back up. When they ended back up in Edward in England, you know, the, the wreck was still there, the police were still there, and anyway... Uh, it's like they lost no time from their from their world in England. Uh, so he, anyway, he goes in, takes the apple that Aslan has given, not an apple he stole, not an apple that he's inappropriately taken, but he's following the will of Aslan, and he takes the apple. So then Diggory took a minute to get his breath and then went softly into his mother's womb, room, and there she lay, as she had seen, as he had seen her lay so many other times, propped up on the pillows with a thin, pale face that would make you cry to look at it, Diggory took the apple of life out of his pocket. And just as the witch Jadis had looked different when you saw her in our world instead of in her own, so the fruit of that mountain garden looked different too. There were, of course, all sorts of colored things in the bedroom. The colored counterpane on the bed, the wallpaper, the sunlight from the window, and Mother's pretty pale blue dressing jacket. But the moment Diggory took the apple out of his pocket, all those things seemed to have scarcely any color at all. Every one of them, even the sunlight, looked faded and dingy in the presence of this apple. The brightness of the apple threw strange lights on the ceiling. Nothing else was worth looking at. You couldn't look at anything else. And the smell of the apple of youth was as if there was a window in the room that opened on heaven. Oh, darling, how lovely, said Diggory's mother. You will eat it, won't you, please, said Diggory. I don't know what the doctor would say, she answered, but really I almost feel as if I could. He peeled it and cut it up and gave it to her piece by piece. And again, be like Diggory, not Andrew. And no sooner had she finished it than she smiled and her head sank back on the pillow. And she was asleep. 
a real natural, gentle sleep without any of those nasty drugs, which was, as Diggory knew, the thing, the thing in the whole world that she wanted most. And he was, he was sure now that her face looked a little different. He bent down and kissed her softly and stole out of the room with, with a beating heart, taking the core of the apple with him. I'm sure you notice where this apple eventually goes to, the core of the apple that's left. Taking the core of the apple with him for the rest of the day, whenever he looked at the things about him and saw how ordinary and unmagical they were, he hardly dared to hope. He hardly dared to hope, but when he remembered the face of Aslan, he did hope. That evening, he buried the core of the apple in the back garden. And we'll see what happens to that apple in a minute. Next morning, when the doctor made his usual visit, Diggory leaned over the banisters to listen. He heard the doctor come out with Aunt Letty and say, Miss Ketterly, this is the most extraordinary case I have known in my whole medical career. It is, it is like a miracle. I wouldn't tell the little boy anything at present. We don't want to raise any false hopes. But in my opinion, then his voice became too low to hear. So, um, yeah, his mother is, is in remission. She's healed for a while um, because Diggory did it the way Jesus, Aslan, wanted him to do it. God's work done God's way. If you do God's work while you're being disobedient to God, it's just not going to have the same effect. So, of course, um, he takes the apple core, young Diggory. He plants the apple core. A semi-magical tree grows up out of that apple core. And there's a storm that hits all of southern England. Some storm. There's a storm that hits all of southern England. That tree falls down. He doesn't want it just chopped up for firewood. So he has it made into a wood lumber. And what does he create out of it? The wardrobe. The wardrobe. That's why in the line, the witch, and the wardrobe, you meet the old diggery professor who has the magical wardrobe one last thing i want you to see that's sort of the story but there's an uh, there there's there's an aside in this text that um that c.s lewis wanted wanted to make um because i'm sure when mamas and daddies were reading this book to their or reading this book to their children you know maybe maybe mom mommies and daddies understand what c.s lewis is saying um children i, I almost hope that children don't understand what, what 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 they're saying but you'll notice um when when they start talking about charn as unto the kids starts talking about charn and they go back to the, 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 the world between the wood. And you notice that the, there's, no, there's not even a pool left. You know, originally they jumped in the pool and they went to Charn, the world that was almost dead. Um, by this point, there, there is no, um, there's not even a pool left. The pool is gone because Charn is completely gone. It was pretty near death when, um, when Diggory and... Polly went and he, he, he rang the bell. It, it, it was fairly near death when that happened. Um, but it's gone now. There's, there's, not even, there's not even the pool to get there. So um, they're standing there and um, 
He's, he's, he's causing the children. He's really causing the adults who are reading this to reflect on cultures, on worlds, on how a, all ages come to an end. So that's why, like on page 194, Polly, Polly says, well, because he's talking about Charn, you know, Jadis's world that was destroyed because of the power and the greed and the corruption that was destroyed. Uh, and, and Polly, who's rather sweet, says, but, but Aslan, we're not, this top page 194, but Aslan, we're not as bad as that world, are we, Aslan? Not yet, daughter of Eve. Again, think of their time frame. They're in the early 1900s. That's their time frame. Not yet, daughter of Eve, not yet, but you are, you are growing more like it. It is not certain that some wicked, it is, it is not certain that some wicked one of your race will not find out a secret as evil as the deplorable word and use it to destroy all things. And soon, very soon, before you are an old man and an old woman, they're running around about age eight in the year 1908, thereabouts, Edwardian England. So when will they become, C.S. Lewis, an old man, you know, old in his 50s or his 60s? But again, C.S. Lewis was born in 1898, grew up in the Edwardian England, and he died in 1963, and he was convinced he was an old man in 1963. Doesn't feel old to me anymore. He didn't even get to hit 65 years old when he died. But anyway, so look at the chronology here. He's saying to um, these two young children who are young in the first decade of the 20th century, but before you are an old man and an old woman, great nations in your world will be ruled by tyrants who can no more for joy who care no more for joy and justice and mercy than the Empress Jadis. Let your world beware. That is the warning. Now for the command, as soon as you can, take, take from this uncle of yours his magic rings and bury them so that no one, including Andrew, can use them again. Well, I'm sure you pick up what C.S. Lewis is laying down here. He's writing in the 50s. You know, think about, I know my grandfather that I was heavily influenced when I was growing up. He, he and my grandmother took care of me. But my grandfather, Emery Carlton Nicholson, born 1902. He died in 1967, the year I started first grade, um, around, I guess, latter August. Back in those days, it might have been after Labor Day. I don't know. I started first grade, and then my grandfather, who I saw every day of my life growing up, uh, to first grade till I went to school. Didn't have kindergarten back in those days. Uh, I went to school, uh, started first grade. He died, he died on Halloween that year, October. He was, so he was born 1902, died 1967. So he was almost contemporaneous by about four years past C.S. Lewis's age. So yeah, if you, those that grew up in Edward in England or born 1902 in Rabin Gap, Georgia, they lived through two world wars, the Great Depression, the Cold War, Stalin, Mussolini, Hitler. Yeah, it had been a hard sell to C.S. Lewis just like it should be a hard sell to Christian Christians, that you are basically good. You know, that again, that's why I baptize your infant. 
We're not basically good. We are born with sin nature. It's our congenital disease. We need Jesus. Jesus was not just a good idea to kind of motivate you a little bit to do what's right. Jesus did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We need saving. We need redeeming. We need delivering. We need grace. Uh, Left to ourselves, we will use God's good gifts in really bad ways. You know, I'm sure the scientists that created, that discovered, created, engineered the science that created eventually that atomic bomb. That's probably what C.S. Lewis is referring to here. That's certainly what the people would have thought of reading this in the 1950s. I'm sure those scientists didn't intend for their wonderful discoveries to be used to destroy the world. I mean, nobody sets out to you know, do something that's going to destroy the world. But the problem with life, the problem with humans, is we use God good, God's good gifts the way we want to use them. And we, we ignore the, like some of us men, we, we ignore the instruction manual that comes with the instrument. And we just want to use it our way, and we don't want to be told how we use this gadget. It never ends well. You know, we got thousands of years of history now. It doesn't end well. God's work has to be done God's way. God's good gifts have to be used in the boundaries that God asks of us. Um, so, don't ruin the story for the little children you're reading this to. Don't stop and editorialize every other sentence. But you can, hopefully you pick up more when you read the Chronicles of Narnia. And hopefully those kids, when they get older, you know, they, they ingrained in them might be, be like Diggory, not Andrew. Don't steal. Tell the truth. Even when it's uncomfortable and it's awkward for you. Yeah, be, 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 you know, be, like, be like Diggory, not Andrew. So, yeah, I do strongly commend you read these stories to your children. But you'll probably get more out of them reading them to your children uh, or them reading them themselves. Because what I've seen throughout the years is usually after they get read to children, the children will get to an age where they read them themselves. Um, Yeah, but you'll get as much or more out of these stories. So let's pray together. God, I thank you for this people who come out early on a Wednesday morning to uh, learn more about their faith, to learn more about life, to learn more about how you're involved in life, to learn more about your your desire to, to be Aslan for us, your desire to be Aslan in our world through Jesus Christ. And we pray that we'll have the wisdom to do what you want of us, but to do what you want of us in the way that you desire us to do it. May we we use all of your good gifts in the ways you have designed those gifts to be used. May we, in our sin, be prevented from, from using your good gifts in a way that destroy them and destroy us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you for the ways that you strive with us to help us take the proper, the right path in life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.